it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you Ambassador Ma'if Arakat, who is the PLO representative in the United States. He has such a distinguished career. I'm only going to highlight just a little bit uh, to give you a little bit of background about him before we, we, get, we, we begin. Ambassador Arakat uh, served for 11 years at the Negotiations Affairs Department of the PLO in Ramallah, uh, most recently as its Deputy Director and as the Coordinator General. He spent, among many years of travel, he spent six years at the Orient House in the early to mid-90s, which is the headquarters of the Palestinian, uh, the PLO in Jerusalem, and of the Palestinian negotiating team of the Madrid Peace Talks. He's been an active member of the peace talks in the conflict. Some uh, examples of that, he was chief representative previously um, in the Palestinian, or, uh, excuse me, Palestinian-Israeli negotiations at Beit Hanun, uh, in, in Gaza and Taba in Egypt in 1996, in Jerusalem in 1997, and was an official member of the Palestinian delegation at the Y River delegation for negotiations in 1998. Uh, he does his studies here. He is a citizen of this country. He is native to, well, he's not native. He's uh, certainly acclimated, knows the United States very well. You'll find him to be completely engaging. I hope you will join me in warmly welcoming him to Villanova. whether to accept the membership of Palestine at the United Nations or not. Before we went, we knew in advance that the United States was going to veto our bid at the United Nations. But nevertheless, we took the case and failed to obtain the nine votes needed to present it to the UN Security Council. When we went last year, we said the reason we are going to the United Nations was because in our conflict with Israel, you have two parties that are not equal. They are not at par. And in international politics, when a party has the upper hand, 
they can always dictate the terms on the other party. We, the Palestinians, have and continue to be the occupied people. The Israeli, the Israelis continue to be, they have been, and they continue to be the occupiers. The land in which we live, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem, are considered by international law, by the United Nations, and by this country, the United States of America, as an occupied territory. Nobody, including the United States of America, does recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. So any talk about a disputed territory, a contested territory, the Israelis are saying is not a true reflection, reflection of the actual situation on the ground. Since 1967, we have been, for the last 45 years, under a brutal military occupation by the state of Israel. Today, the Palestinians do not have control over any piece of land except 18% of the West Bank, while the rest of the authority and the control remains in the hands of the Israelis. We continue to advocate a two-state solution. In 1988, the Palestine National Council, which is the highest Palestinian legislative council, or <coughs> legislative body, for the first time recognized UN Resolutions 242 and 338, which called for an end to the conflict in a peaceful manner and the acceptance of the State of Israel. And we said in 1988 that we will accept the establishment of a Palestinian state on 22% of what used to be historic Palestine. The West Bank, the Gaza Strip, East Jerusalem constitute only 22% of what used to be historic Palestine. 88. 24 years later, Israel is trying to bargain with us or to compromise with us on what we called at that time as a historical compromise. They want to compromise on the 22%, hoping that we will accept that they can take 10% out of the 22%, leaving us, of course, of nothing. No attributes of sovereignty, no control over our natural resources, no control over our airspace, no control over our water resources, no control over our international borders, <coughs> nothing whatsoever. They want us only to enjoy some improved form of autonomy where we remain under their direct security and military control. This is something we, as Palestinians, will never accept. Anything short of an end to the Israeli military occupation of our land, anything short of the establishment of an independent, sovereign Palestinian state in the West Bank, Gaza, East Jerusalem, that can live side by side with Israel in peace and security, is not acceptable to us. We recognize Israel's right to exist many times. In 88, in 1993, when we exchanged the letters of mutual recognition between the PLO and Israel as a result of the Oslo Accords that were signed in Norway, and then 
were signed here again at the White House in the presence of President Clinton in 1994. We recognized Israel's right to exist and we deleted clauses from our national charter in 1996 that called for the destruction of the State of Israel. And in 1998, the same Israeli Prime Minister, who is right now in power, Benjamin Netanyahu, pressured President Clinton to ask the Palestinians to convene once again a session for the Palestine National Council to reiterate our decision in 1996 to delete clauses from our national charter that called for the destruction of the state of Israel. So we have done what was asked of us. We have accepted not to share the land according to the partition plan of 1947 which called for a 47% to the Palestinians and 53% to the Israelis or to the Jews. We said we will be happy with 22% of what used to be historic Palestine. And today, Israel continues to refuse to recognize the existence of the Palestinian state. They are putting conditions. They want first to make sure that we are going to behave if we become a state. And that we can control our affairs and govern ourselves before they can accept to end the occupation. Imagine the United States occupying Mexico or Canada and say, the only way we can live <coughs> is if you can prove to us that in the future you will be good neighbors and you will not do anything to hurt our interests. It's not easy to be a Palestinian under occupation. And nobody can understand that. Not members of Congress who are sitting in their offices adopting blindly the positions of Israel, supporting Israel unequivocally to oppress and violate the human rights of more than four and a half million Palestinians on a daily basis. And not supporters of Israel in this country can understand the magnitude of the pain and the suffering that Palestinians endure on a daily basis living under the Israeli military occupation. When you cannot leave your village or, or, or town without being stopped by an Israeli checkpost, humiliated, harassed, and sometimes shot at and killed, nobody can understand such an experience unless you see it in your own eyes. Freedom is freedom. Whether it's in the United States of America, Europe, Asia, Africa, nobody can compromise on their freedom. <coughs> nobody can accept to remain under the rule of a foreign power that dictates every aspect of their life and not do something to put an end to that military occupation. 45 years is more than enough for us. We have proven that we are a people who are capable of governing ourselves. We are actually some of the most educated people on the face of earth, for some of you who don't know. We come, we come third, uh, sorry, we come next to the United States in the number of students, graduate students per capita. 
3,000 Palestinians pursue their graduate education out of 100,000, while 4,000 Americans do that. So we are a very well-educated people. And we can govern ourselves. And we don't, want, we don't need the Israelis to give us a certificate of good deeds in order to prove that we can govern ourselves. The only way that Israel can have peace is by making peace with the Palestinians. The only way Israel can have security is by making peace with the Palestinians. Because we are not planning to leave our land anytime soon. We've done that in 1948, and we paid a very heavy price. 750,000 Palestinians left or were forced to leave in 1948 after the creation of the state of Israel. None of them had the chance to go back and see their homes, villages, houses, lands that they left behind. In 1967, we still repeated the same mistake. And we fled and left and went to Jordan and other countries to avoid the war that erupted in 1967. This time around, we have no plans of leaving. We are going to stay on our land. And we will continue to struggle for justice. Our struggle is simple. We just want to have our own independence and our own freedom. Why in every situation in the world the United States always side with the underdog, except in the Middle East? They don't side with us. We are the underdogs in the Middle East. Why the United States continue to shield Israel from international punishment, UN punishment for their actions and behavior, use vetoes to abort UN security resolutions against settlements, against illegal policies that even this country condemns on a daily basis. Why does the US Congress provide unequivocal support for Israel when they know very well that the Israelis are systematically violating the human rights of the Palestinian people? What kind of democracy are they talking about? What kind of defending human rights they are talking about? Who are they trying to fool? When they support the people of Libya and support the people, the people of Egypt and Tunisia, and then when it comes to the Palestinians and the Israelis who are suffering from this military, brutal military occupation, none of them has the courage and the decency to stand up and say what we are doing there is also wrong. It doesn't matter whether Israel is our ally, our friends or not. They should not be doing what they are doing to the Palestinian people. They should end their military occupation. We are not going to turn our eyes that to the other side, if Israel is not behaving according to international law, we are going also to say that clearly and openly. But to continue, or to, fail, to continue in, in their failure to hold Israel accountable for their actions will only embolden the Israelis to continue with their policies. It's not easy to be a Palestinian under occupation. It's not easy to be a Palestinian in this country, too. I remember when I went to school a few years ago, I don't want to make it sound like it's been a long time ago, <laughs> it was difficult 
to tell people that I'm going to go see. Difficult. What they had in their mind, you know, people who only carry out attacks, violence, and it was really difficult to do that. Today, it's much better than what it used to be. People can relate to us. People can understand that we are the only people who are under a military occupation in the world. We are the only, Israel, the Israeli military occupation is the only remaining military <coughs> occupation on the face of earth. It's time for that occupation to end. It's as simple as that. We are a people who are seeking peace. We want to live. <coughs> we don't want to destroy Israel. This is a big lie. They are the ones who want to destroy us. They are the ones who want to deny us the legitimacy. We are not trying to deny them their legitimacy. Why are they against our bid to join the United Nations? Wasn't it the United Nations that created the State of Israel in 1947? Why can't we go to the United Nations and say, hey, we are also entitled to be a state, to be recognized by the United Nations? So we are seeking, we are not seeking to delegitimize Israel or to destroy Israel. All what we are seeking is to put an end to this military occupation and allow our people to live in peace, dignity, and honor. And I think this is a legitimate demand that should be supported by the people of the United States and by the government of the United States. It's time that this country stood for its principles. You cannot be built on the foundation of justice, liberty, and equality, and at the same time provide support, unlimited support, to a country that is oppressing and violating the rights, the national rights, and the human rights of another people. That's hypocrisy. That's double standard. So we continue to extend our hand to the Israelis if they want to make peace. <laughs> Time is not on our side. Time is not on their side. Israel today is faced with three options. One is to keep the current status quo, situation as it is. They have a very prosperous economy. They have a very strong army thanks to the United States of America. They have a very strong uh, society. They are a country who managed to build themselves in a, such a short period of time, but with a very generous support from the outside world. It wasn't all an Israeli success story. There was a lot of support that came to them from their diaspora, from Europe, from the United States. So they don't feel pressed to end the conflict with the Palestinian people. Why should they? If the United States is supporting them 100% blindly, if we go to the United Nations, we just use a veto. If we want to join the United States, the United Nations, the United States will block our efforts. Why should Israel care? What incentive does Israel have to sit down with the Palestinians and end the conflict if they can rely on this unlimited blind support that is offered to them by the United States? If they cannot be held accountable, why should they sit with the Palestinians to end the conflict? They can maintain that status quo 
because they have the upper hand and they have the power and the military needs to do that. But this will lead, if it hasn't already started to lead, to a system in the occupied Palestinian territory, an apartheid-like system where you have different regimes in the occupied Palestinian areas. One where settlers reign and control, extreme settlers, who this year alone, until today, carried out more than 550 attacks against Palestinian civilians, against mosques, against churches. Yesterday, they attacked church in the old city of Jerusalem. It's no more mosques, it's no more Muslims. Now it's Christians also targeted. The monasteries and the churches are targeted because when they listen to their government and they see the extreme policies of their government that does not promote tolerance, they become blind. It's not a Muslim or Christian. Both are the same. So they have a situation where we have a regime that favors settlers. We have occupied territories, and that would lead eventually to an apartheid-like system where Palestinians would be discriminated against under occupation. Or Israel can do option two, accept the two-state solution that we are still, unfortunately, promoting today, despite the fact that Israel is undermining, unfortunately, uh, sorry, not unfortunately, that we are still promoting, despite the fact that Israel on daily basis is undermining that option. We still are calling for the creation of a Palestinian state that can live side by side with Israeli peace and security. But we will not accept a state that will be denied or deprived of the attributes of sovereignty to control our borders, our airspace, our territorial waters, our natural resources. We're not going to be a protectorate <coughs> under the occupation. So this remains to be our most ideal option. I know when I talk to my own people in this country and elsewhere, they tell me you are a dreamer. <coughs> what two-state solution are you talking about? Israel confiscated everything. They are building settlements on daily basis. There are no more land for you to have your own state. So what are we talking about? Still, we believe that this is the most ideal solution. State of Israel, state of Palestine, living side by side in peace and security as good neighbors and ending the conflict once and for all. Now, if Israel wants to maintain the status quo and does not want a two-state solution, then what we can end up with is a binational state. We don't support that option. Many Palestinians do. Many Israelis do. That let Israel continue control of the historic land of Palestine. Call it Israel. It doesn't matter. Names today don't matter. Call it whatever you want to call it. But you have to give equal rights to your citizens. If you want the Palestinians to continue to live in the state of Israel from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, then we are entitled for equal rights. And the Israelis have to provide us with equal rights. This is the democracy of the conflict. Because in 20, 25 years, the number of non-Jews living in the land of historic Palestine will exceed 
the number of Jews who live there. And Israel, the Israel in the mind of the Zionists and the supporters of Israel of the Jewish homeland will no longer be valid. So it's Israel's choice. We are staying, we're not leaving. They want to keep the status quo, they have to be prepared for the consequences of creating an, an apartheid system there. They don't want the two-state solution, let's go for <coughs> one binational state <coughs> solution, which is not our option as I explained, but eventually things will end there if Israel does not sit down with us and put an end to this conflict. It takes two to tango. We cannot continue to be blamed for the failure of the, process, the peace process in the region. And Israel, the occupying power, who is undermining every effort we are taking in order to end the conflict, escapes blame and responsibility. This country cannot continue to shield Israel. Morally, they cannot continue to shield Israel. It's shameful <coughs> that the Israeli actions go unnoticed in this country. The attack on the monastery yesterday came in the Washington Post today as this big of an item under 10, 15 other items. If it was a synagogue, if it was a settler, it would be on the first page of the Washington Post. And Palestinians would be called terrorists. This tolerance of Israeli intransigence must end. It's not in the interest of the United States continue doing that. Especially today, with all what is happening in the region. The Arab street is taking control. It's no more Hashim <coughs> Mubarak, no more Zainal Abidin Ali of Tunisia, no more tomorrow of Bashar al-Assad of Syria. It's the Arab street. And the Arab street is very, very sympathetic to the Palestinians. I can assure you of that. Today, we have a chance to put an end to the conflict in a dignified manner that will provide Israel with the prospect of peace and security and give my people <coughs> the opportunity to live a dignified, honorable life in freedom and liberty. If we, want, if we wait longer, we are risking that things will get out of control and we will not be able to achieve this objective. I hope there will still be time for us. All right, so we have the rare opportunity to speak to a PLO representative at Villanova. I know there's going to be like six hands that go up immediately when I say, are there any questions? Yes, please, go ahead. I actually have two, but I'll start with one, which is um, Jewish friends of mine who are basically rational people and stuff have, a, some of them have a blind spot about this issue. And they come up again and again with, what about Gaza? They voted in Hezbollah and Hamas, Hamas. Hamas I'm sorry, <coughs> Hamas. And, um, we haven't seen, or I haven't heard of progress about cooperation between PA and Hamas. Is there progress? 
And and is Gaza still occasionally lopping missiles over, terrorizing Israel? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, the Israeli withdrawal from Gaza in 2005, and I'm happy to be involved in that. Uh, not involved in the in the discussions with the Israelis because they refused to talk to us about withdrawing from the Gaza Strip. They refused, despite in spite of our repeated calls that you need to sit down with us and coordinate it. You cannot do it unilaterally. <coughs> so they refused to do it and decided to leave the Gaza Strip without coordination with the Palestinian Authority. Now they removed their settlers and army from the Gaza Strip. They offered to keep the settlements. We said, no, thank you. You can take your settlements and settlers with you, because in any future agreement, we will not accept that any settlements or settler to stay unless there is an agreement to exchange land, land swaps in which they will compensate us for uh, whatever amount of land that they, they will keep. This is subject to discussion. It's no secret that we discussed that with them in the past. So their withdrawal was uncoordinated with us. It was unilateral. They removed their settlers and army, but they continued to besiege the Gaza Strip. Gazans cannot leave the Gaza Strip ever, except through the Egyptian borders, which have been opened occasionally. So technically, Gaza is still under occupation. No fishermen, Palestinian fishermen, can go into the sea. The land crossings are blocked by the Israelis. And I mean, we don't want to mention the attack on Gaza in 2008 that left 1,500, 1,400 Palestinians killed because of one soldier who was taken captive. 1,400 Palestinians lost their lives in their effort to free the soldier who was freed eventually earlier this year. So Gaza was turned into a big prison. There was no end to the occupation. In order to put an end to all this violence and counter-violence, you have to reach real peace. Real peace can be achieved when Israelis accept to end their occupation of the Palestinian people. And the Palestinian people will be ready, willing, and able to provide Israel with the security they need. For the last six years in the West Bank, there has been no single incident in which an Israeli was killed. The Palestinian Authority managed in six years to provide security in areas under their control that the Israeli army failed to do when they occupied our land and when they controlled our land. It is in our interest to provide security to our people and to our members. But if the Israelis continues with the mentality of occupation, if they continue with the mentality of the master and the slave, that we tell you, you are the subordinates. We tell you what to do. We we'll let you leave today, but tomorrow we'll close it. You can go today, but tomorrow you can't. <coughs> it does not work this way. No people can tolerate that. So to put an end to this, we have to reach real peace that will end the Israeli military occupation, provide Israel with the peace and security that it needs. But, but does Gaza, Hamas, still have the desire They to still have control. They still have control in the Gaza Strip. Hamas is not part of the PLO, 
which is the organization I represent. They have their own policies. Uh, in the Israeli government today, you have parties that call for the transfer of the Palestinians outside of Palestine. They are so clearly declaring racist <coughs> positions, and they are part of the Israeli coalition government. So as long as Hamas is not part of my authority, not part of my government, I cannot speak on their behalf. I am telling you I want a two-state solution where Israel and Palestine can live side by side in security. I am telling you that I recognize Israel's right to exist. I want Israel to recognize my right to exist. Hamas, one day, they will come to, to their senses as well. But when they see Israel continue with their occupation policies, the humiliation of the Palestinian people, it's difficult to see any change in their position in the time soon. What's on this side? Yes, go ahead. Uh, countries around the world are often critical of the United States of overstepping their boundaries and issues that uh, they believe they shouldn't be involved in. Uh, if the United States were to back Palestine in becoming a UN member, do you think that other Middle Eastern countries would see this, see that as one of those instances? And also, if uh, the United States backed Palestine, how would Palestinians uh, receive the United States, considering their relationship with Israel? Well, let me let me tell you something. I mean, I put aside the fact that I received my education here, and then I'm a citizen of this country as well. Um, some people may wonder how how do I represent. A, a country or an entity, if, if I'm a citizen of the United States, because the United States does not recognize Palestine as a state in it. The minute they do that, I have to do one of two. Either quit my job or renounce my US citizenship, because you cannot do it. And the Israeli ambassador in this country did it, by the way. Michael Oren, the Israeli ambassador, was a US citizen. And he renounced his citizenship when he was offered the job of being an ambassador to Israel. So, uh, I'll tell you one thing. We have nothing but a positive opinion and view of the United States of America. I think most of the world have a positive view of the United States, except when it comes to their foreign policy. I don't think you have good foreign policy. You never had good <laughs> and in the Middle East, in particular, you, I mean, you are making a mistake after that. Now, I'm not telling you that if they solve the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, all American or all America's ills and problems will will disappear, evaporate. That would be too too naive or so naive to say. But. You are talking about 1.3 billion Arabs and Muslims. The United States has a lot of interest with these countries. Forget all it. Although I believe part of the reason the United States went to Iraq was oil. Why not Syria? Because there's no oil. Libya was oil. It doesn't take a genius to figure it out. Okay? But they could, they could never understand the mentality of the people of the East. We view the United States as a very advanced, very prosperous country. We have a very positive opinion of the American people. And people who come here and study here go back and say that. You know, how 
humble, modest, down-to-earth, friendly. And we compare you guys with people in Europe, you know, the people who ruled you before here, you know, speak the same language, you know. We compare you to, to, to them and to others, you know. But when it comes to foreign policy, the United States needs to have a completely different approach. They cannot continue to use double standards. They cannot. They cannot support the struggle <coughs> of a certain people in a country <coughs> and go to the United Nations to invade another country because they violated international law and they violated human resolutions and at the same time support another country that is violating the human rights and, and the national rights and, and on daily basis in another country. We, we see things. We can read them easily. So the U.S. needs to take a different approach that holds everybody accountable to their, to the, to their actions and, and behavior. It's not enough to blame me when I don't do my, 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 my responsibilities and when the Israelis don't, oh, well, they are our allies. They are our only ally in, in the Middle East. You know? We have shared values with them. But those Palestinians and Arab Muslims, no, 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 we don't have shared values with them. They are aliens. They don't have anything in common with us. We are part of a Muslim nation that are rich in culture rich in history, rich in civilization. Your algebra today that you read is an Arab Muslim invention. Your chemistry, so many things that you study, sciences, everything was, was invented by Arabs and Muslims. Things you don't know about that because they don't talk about it. We have a very bright side. And we are like every other nation. We want to live peacefully in dignity without interference from anybody else. So as long as the United States does not understand the mentality of the Arabs and the Muslims and continue to repeat the same mistakes there, thinking that because some of the countries there need the United States that they can continue to promote their policies there and get away with it, they will find out sooner or later that they are wrong. So you need to have a different approach based on understanding exactly what is it that the peoples of the Middle East need, how we can bring them together in order to allow for all of them to live together in peace and harmony, and not to side with one side at the expense of the other. Speaking from an international relations perspective, how would you recommend the United States, if they were to lessen their support for Israel, still maintain credibility with their other allies around the world? <coughs> well, I'm not, listen, we are, we, we are realists here. I mean, you know, there is real politique uh, here. I'm not, I don't expect the United States to lessen its support uh, for Israel. Not only because of domestic uh, <laughs> considerations, but I'm not asking them to do that. On the contrary, I sometimes believe that the fact that we have good relations with Israel could help in convincing Israel to, to become more reasonable and, and uh, uh, not to continue to defy the United States. Israel is actually defying the United States. When, when a friend helps a friend, 
and the friend comes to that friend and say, you know, please, don't do this because that would harm, undermine my interest, the good friend will listen, especially with all the support that they are getting, the 3.5 billion annually. This is what's declared, of course. There are billions that we don't know about. There are organizations in this country that are using laws in this country, the nonprofit organizations, to send money to help settlers build settlements in the Palestinian areas. Money goes out of this country as, as tax-free money to <coughs> settler groups by certain people in this country to build illegal settlements in violation of US policies. And the United States is not doing anything about it. They are not doing anything about it. So we don't want them to, 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 to listen to their, their support. We just want them to take a more balanced approach. Hold everybody accountable. Hold them to the same standards. You cannot ask the, the Palestinians to, be, to comply with international law, UN resolutions, past agreements. And when Israel violates international law you, uh, and past agreements, nothing, nothing happens. This is what we want from the United States. We don't want them to break their special relationship with Israel. I don't think that would be a reasonable request to make. But you know, you have to be balanced. That's all. Granted, you do not favor a binational state now. In 1948, I know great Jewish intellectuals, Martin Buber, Hannah Arndt, suggested that was the way to handle the situation. Why was that not adopted? How close did it come to being adopted? Would it have worked if it were adopted? When I said this in the past, uh, I, got, I got attacked by, by some people when I said that uh, we are now in a forced marriage. You know, in a forced marriage, I don't know if one of the, of the spouses will be happy, but uh, we are in a forced marriage with Israelis. We need to get a divorce. Maybe after we contemplate dating again. <laughs> but at this time, I want a divorce. For that sake, I don't want to be, I don't want to be ruled by the army. I'm coming to a divorce. In order to develop my national identity, that has been very much suppressed, <coughs> crushed by the Israelis over the last 60, 64 years from the day Israel was created. I need to be able to build my country, my national identity free of any external influence, especially Israeli influence. After I am getting that chance, and after they also get used to not occupying the Palestinians for a change, okay? Maybe we can contemplate coordination, cooperation between between the two sides. The reason I'm against the issue of the binational state, <clears throat> I don't know if the Israelis will accept to give me equal rights because we have 1.5 million Palestinians who have Israeli citizenship who are being discriminated against in every aspect of life inside Israel. 1.5 million. And they are fighting on daily basis to preserve their rights. So 
if I say let's go for a binational state, add 1.5 million in Israel and 3 million in, in Gaza Strip and 3 million in the West Bank, so that would be like 6 million versus 7 million Israelis. Who guarantees that Israel will give me products? So I'm going to continue to be struggling to, 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 to achieve equality in a society where Israel continues to have the upper hand. So I'm just shifting myself from a struggle of independence against the military occupation that I'm having a sympathy of the international community mm -hmm. to a struggle, a social struggle now within a state mm -hmm. that nobody wants to interfere because that's their own business. We don't want to interfere with that. That's my concern. If they can assure me that I will enjoy equal rights, I told you I don't even know <coughs> calling it Israel. But I'm asking you about 1948, not now. Was it why, why didn't we do it in 1948? Yes. Why wasn't it possible in 1948? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not familiar with the people you mentioned. I'm sorry for being ignorant. Martin here, Uber, uh, I, I, Anna Arndt. But for 1948, I, I very much would suspect that the Israelis or the Palestinians or the Arabs at the time had the stomach to discuss something like that. You know, I mean, uh, just, just coming out of a war and establishment of the and us feeling that you know a great injustice was done, we lost our country, we lost our land, it would have been difficult. The same reason, the same reason we refused the partition plan. We, I'm not telling you we didn't. We did, of course. Even the partition plan gave them 53% and gave us 47%. It wasn't even 50-50. So we refused it because we thought it was unfair. They didn't have more than 20% ownership of the land uh, in that, and their population was much less than the Palestinian population, the Arab Palestinian population. Why should they get 50, 50, 53% and we get uh, 47%? It was an issue, it was a principal issue at the time that we rejected the, the partition plan. It's not that we didn't want peace, we didn't want to be, we lived with them. My grandfather was a partner in a bakery shop with, 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 with a Jew in, in West Jerusalem. He was a partner with him. He saw him again in 1968 after he left. My father left his home. My mother lived with him. They left their home. They came settled in Jericho. And in 1968, his partner came to visit him. He lost his bakery shop. My, my grandparents lost their home. We went back to see the home in 1969, and the family who lived there would not let us in. Are you telling me about injustice? Major injustice. When we say we are accepting 22%, that's a major compromise. We are attacked by Palestinians around, around the world because we accepted this compromise to establish a state on 22% of our land. And yet, they want to bargain on the 22%. What, if any, was the PLO's reaction to President Obama inserting into the Democratic platform that Jerusalem is, is considered and always will be considered the capital of Israel when it had previously been a topic that needed to be settled between the two parties? They call it the city season. They call it, this is the city season, even administration officials. Oh, this is the city season, the election season. They call it the city season. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't pay attention 
the things that are said before elections. How many presidents of the United States said they would transfer the embassy of the United States from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? How many? Since the days of who? I mean, 30 years ago they've been saying, okay, once we win, we will, we will, uh, we will move it. When they take office, they understand this is not campaigning, this is governing. <coughs> this is a country, if they do something, the impact will be felt in Australia. Okay? So uh, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not something easy that, that you know, uh, <coughs> and you watch the Democratic National Convention and you saw. I thought that was, was a fiasco, a joke. <laughs> when he, call, he calls out the vote three times and you could hear that those who are opposed are more than those who accept it, and then he passed it. <laughs> Give me a break. You know, I mean, it was on TV. But this is politics. This is politics. I mean, you know, we deal with real positions and real policies. We don't deal with, with election uh, platforms or, or campaign platforms. Okay. Questions on this side? This is a silent majority. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. Uh, okay. uh, you mentioned a little uh, post-blur uh, saying that you guys, uh, do you feel vilified to a certain extent, like, uh, because you, I think to this American Republic, to American uh, citizens that we have to keep this perception that we have to support Israel and that we'll do anything to try to vilify Palestine. Repeat, I didn't hear the first two words of the question. Do you feel vilified in the American public, I mean, through the American media? Uh, no, I don't. I'm not as Palestinians. I think, I think we, have, we, have, we have a larger problem with the, with the media. It's part, it's part of the classical ignorance in this country. You know, I mean, uh, uh, people, you know, when, when you vilify another race or another group of people, it's, it's, it's an indication of, of ignorance, you know. I don't, I don't condone or tolerate <coughs> any uh, stereotyping or, or anything against any <coughs> Muslims, Christians, Jews, uh, Arabs, <coughs> Chinese, Hispanics. I think this is, this is wrong. I personally, as a Palestinian, I don't feel uh, very much vilified by, by, by the media. Again, I think uh, we have, we have come a long way from where we were you know, three, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, today. And there is an increased interest in what is going on in the Middle East. I mean, with all the bad uh, consequences of September 11, the horrible events of September 11, the sad events, you know, it, it somehow also uh, increased the interest of the American people in trying to know more about Muslims, more about, about <coughs> things like that. So uh, I, I, I don't think I don't think that that we uh, we get a fair treatment in the media. But uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm not here to blame them for that. I think we also share some of the plan for not doing enough, maybe, uh, to reach out to different segments and try to explain to them what, what our position is. Yes. Um, so given that the, at least at the, <coughs> at the level of 
party policies and the political, the level of political discussion that goes on in the U.S. like in relation to elections, given that the issue of Palestinian statehood doesn't really seem to be what people are talking about or what is part of the normal everyday discussion so much. I mean, it's all a lot more about the economy and other things like that. And also given the fact that in Israel, the, the settler community has only become stronger and a more vocal part of what's going on, at least in some official ways in Israel, I'm, I'm wondering how optimistic you are that what you are seeking, which I have supported since I first heard about Yasser Arafat back in the mid-70s when I was in college. I'll say when I was in college. <laughs> um, how optimistic are you that what you're seeking and which I support <laughs> will happen sometime well, soon? <laughs> I, I wish I wish I can, I can answer your question of, of uh, optimistic or pessimistic. I think uh, one thing, one feeling you, 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 you lose in the process of being in this, in my kind of work, pessimism and optimism. You know, because uh, what the feeling of pessimism may turn out to optimism in a very short period of time and vice versa. You know, it's, it's, it's a very relative uh, issue uh, in this. I think uh, the only, let me say, hope I have is that we and the Israelis have been fighting for such a long time. They tried to cancel us out. Golda Meir, the famous Israeli prime minister, said in the 70s, early 70s, there is no such thing as Palestinian people, or Palestinian. They, they used to put Palestinian, a Palestinian in jail for six months if he raised the Palestinian flag. This is in, in the 80s during the first intifada. They will never call it the Palestinian flag. They will call it the PLO flag. I mean, it's always been the flag of Palestine forever, you know. So, and, and, and I remember we, we refused to sit with, with, with students representing uh, Jewish organizations or pro-Israel organizations unless they recognize in advance our right for a state and for self-determination. So after, after years of conflict and each other trying to cancel the other out, denying the right of the other to have, denying the right of the other to be on that historic land, okay? I think we reach a conclusion that fighting, war, violence are not going to achieve anything. The best way is to accommodate, to sit and talk, and try to find a common ground, an agreement that will last for generations to come. When we say that we want to end the conflict, we mean it. When we say we want to end the historical claims, the Israelis don't understand what we mean with that. And they ignore it. If they accuse us, of trying to tactically establish a state in the West Bank, Gaza, and Jerusalem so that we can strengthen ourselves and then go and attack Israel and take the rest of Palestine. 
as if it were the Palestinians who attacked Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, <coughs> Egypt, Tunisia, Iraq, and God knows where next, maybe Iran, Pakistan, we don't know. I, you know, we really are sincere about ending the conflict because we pay the heaviest price for the lack of peace. We are the ones under occupation. We are the ones whose, whose freedom is denied. It's not the Israelis. You go to Israel, you go to Tel Aviv, you go to Jaffa, you go to Haifa. Israelis are living a very normal life. Movies, nightclubs, restaurants, everything is normal there. It's as if they have nothing to do with an occupied people 20 kilometers or 30 kilometers away from them. So we have a vested interest in seeing this conflict over. <coughs> <coughs> and therefore, the only hope I have is that I am sure there is a majority, despite those extreme settlers who are actually hurting Israel more than anybody else. They are. Today, the American Jewish Committee issued a statement denouncing what they did. The President of Israel said that this is shameful. But the problem, the government, which has the resources to apprehend the perpetrators is not doing that. Because it's election season, they're city season. They don't want to antagonize this settler community just in case they needed them. It's too sad. Too sad. But in the end, they will hurt Israel. They're not going to hurt me. They're not going to hurt me. I'm used to their attacks and aggression. So my only hope is that there's still a majority on the Palestinian side and a majority on the Israeli side who believe in accommodation, in coexistence, and in a two-state solution. Today, maybe the forces in Israel that advocate that are not strong enough. We have our own problems too. I'm not saying that we are perfect, but eventually, these two camps are going to succeed and prevail. They know what the alternative is. And this is what keeps me hopeful. Not optimistic, not pessimistic, hopeful. And I have to remain hopeful if I want to keep my job. <laughs> One final. Actually, two final? If I could ask a question as well. Go ahead. Thanks. Yes, uh, isn't it true that there's an unfair label uh, with the violence put upon the struggle that we call terrorism sometimes, and that there is also the part of the struggle that gets less pressed, the nonviolent, the peaceful part of the equation? Mm. And isn't it likely that that is powerful and strong, and isn't it likely that that doesn't get the press? We don't hear about the peaceful, nonviolent <coughs> efforts. And, and likely, isn't that the key to solving this solution and many others in life? Well, I mean, we, we have been uh, pursuing nonviolent resistance for quite some time. And uh, we are doing that weekly basis uh, to protest Israel's building of the wall slash fence. And, uh, Israelis come and take part in these uh, demonstrations, and they, they get hurt in the process. Uh, internationals come, 
to express <coughs> solidarity with the Palestinian people. I think this, our current leadership, this current Palestinian leadership strongly believes that violence and military struggle are not going to achieve the desired results. You can't, when, you, when, when the balance of power is not, is not equal. I mean, Israel is the sixth, they have the sixth largest or the fifth largest army in the world. Israel has a nuclear weapons. And they, it's not secret, this country knows about it. And they want to set the red line for Iran. Why not the red line for Israel? Why? I don't sympathize with the Iranians. I think, I think they are crazy to, to put so many resources in something that's not going to help them or help the Iranian people. It's stupid. But we also <coughs> see this. Israel is a proven, proven nuclear power. Iran is not. So all this noise, because they are trying to become a nuclear, but the country who refused to sign the non-proliferation treaty and will not allow inspectors to inspect its reactors. We see these things. That's on the side. We will continue to advocate nonviolence. That's the only way. Israel has no interest. That's why they try to crush these demonstrations every week that are conducted <coughs> nonviolently. The last thing Israel wants is a Palestinian movement of nonviolence. They don't want it. Because they always portray us as a violent people who are bound to, to attack Israelis, to kill Israelis. And for them, when we resort to these nonviolent moves or demonstrations, it puts them in, in a difficult position. What are they going to do with people who are just demonstrating? They don't even throw a stone. They don't do anything. They just go out and demonstrate. So we will continue to, to promote that because I think, I think uh, violence and military means are not the solution to the conflict with Israel. I, I could be accused of being a defeatist, but I, I believe strongly that it's the only way to, to resort to peaceful means to, to resolve the conflict. Uh, yeah, um, we've talked about uh, foreign policy on the American level as well as in the UN. Um, what do you think are the chances, or even what will it take for the Israeli population to understand that they are what injustices are happening with Palestine? Like, I'm sure there are some movements in Israel, um, Israel that are for um, at least cooperation with Palestine. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, I always say that the minute Israelis and Palestinians leave that land, we became normal. We become normal. You know, we start talking and uh, it's like they are not occupying us. It's not like we are not attacking them. You know, things are so, so smooth and nice, you know, but um, <laughs> being there and trying to discuss the problem is, is, is difficult. I, uh, I have so many Israeli friends. I mean, in recent years, maybe, I don't, I don't see them interact with them as often as I want, but uh, uh, from the mid-90s until the late 90s, we, we did a lot of uh, joint work with them. Uh, there was a committee called People to People uh, that encouraged Palestinians and Israelis to do things together, students, doctors, engineers. Uh, uh, until today, until today, there are 
certain uh, areas of, of, of cooperation, but unfortunately the overall political environment is preventing uh, Palestinians and Israelis to mingle uh, uh, together. Uh, there are many people who are critical, who write in newspapers, who criticize Israel occupation, but every time you hear some strong voices in Israel, for some reason, the government tried to shift the paradigm to, you know, to a completely, or discourse to a completely different subject, you know, that we are threatened. You know, the occupation is important. Uh, we can't allow the Palestinians to become independent. They will attack us. They will, uh, like your questions on Gaza, they will, if, if they, what, what happened in Gaza, they will do the same thing. They will do the same thing and try to, to keep their people you know, and, and this siege mentality and fear, you know, that, you know, I mean, we can't. This is something existential for us. I'm not, I'm not underestimating their concerns. I'm not underestimating their history and what they went through. I'm not underestimating that. I, I acknowledge it. I recognize it. But that shouldn't be a reason for them to do the same that happened to them to me. We can't. You can't because you have suffered and endured to try to continue to rule me because you are afraid that I will do the same thing to you that was done to you by somebody else, not me. So it is, it is, it is very, very, uh, 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 you know, confusing situation there when they try to dominate the government, the official government, and, and keep the Israelis focused on that threat. The Palestinian threat, the Arab threat. We are after them. We want to destroy them, to throw them into the sea, quote unquote. And, and unfortunately, <coughs> we haven't seen, especially in the last few years during the you know violence and counter-violence, second Palestinian uprising, the peace camp in Israel lost a lot, and we have to blame to be blamed for that. I mean, the, the acts that we we carried out against Israeli civilians during the Second Intifada hurt us a lot with, you know, they, they made them lose ground, the peace camp in Israel, and hurt us morally, ourselves, and hurt, hurt, hurt our stand internationally. But we remain hopeful that there are segments in the Israeli society who believe and know that the only way out is the creation of a Palestinian state. Many are even arguing today with their leadership that Iran is not, Iran is not the existential threat that you're trying to portray her. It's the Palestinians. Our conflict with the Palestinians is the most important thing because they are the ones who are living on the same land as us. And I agree with them. I think Israel's number one priority should be resolving the conflict with the Palestinian people. So I reserve the right to ask the last question. <laughs> So it seems to me that this is quite often framed as a conflict of numbers. Of Day. numbers? Of numbers. Mm -hmm. So often when it's presented, it's, numbers are always a bay about. So the number of people killed, dates, percentages of land, who go, you know, which, who gets what percentage of land, how many villages have been destroyed. 
how many settlements get raised. Um, I think what's lost is the humanitarian side. So I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned in 1948, 750,000 Palestinians either fleeing or being evacuated from their homes, creating what is essentially the largest refugee crisis in our society today. <coughs> Palestinians constitute the largest refugee crisis. So could you maybe say a few more words? Earlier you had mentioned sort of what the life was like for a Palestinian. And that for us is kind of a, an intangible we don't read about. Could you maybe <coughs> say a few words about the refugee crisis? Um, other than the question of the right of return, could you say a little bit more about what the PLO is doing about the refugee crisis? How that is entangling other countries, whether it's for better or for worse, the neighboring countries where refugees have, have sought sort of um, refuge. And then the last part of that question is, um, what about Palestinians who are not refugees who are in places where they don't have citizenship? So could you maybe say a little bit more about what it's like to be a Palestinian, perhaps in the refugee camps, but then also as somebody living in Zaytoven without, with a Hawiya, for example? Can I send that in email? <laughs> <laughs> Acceptable to both. Okay? 
I will give you an example. I have a brother and I have a sister who live, no, not live in Palestine, they live outside. And they both are citizens of the countries they live in. And they have the Hawiya, the identity card, that allows them to return to Palestine anytime they want. The last time my brother was home was 14 years ago. And the last time my sister was home was like 10 years ago. And they can't go back. So many Palestinians, even if you give them the choice to return to a Palestinian state, they don't They have established themselves in different countries, and they will remain there. Now, some refugees live in more difficult conditions than others. For example, in Lebanon, we have close to half a million. We have given them priority. Anytime we reach a solution with Israel, and Israel has no right whatsoever to oppose anyone who wants to return to a Palestinian state. They tried to, to dictate that number too. I mean, we're talking to them about the number that will go back to Israel, or what used to be Palestine, and they tried to, to dictate the number that will come back to a Palestine, new Palestine. We said, no, you have no business with that. We can absorb as many as we want. So the refugees in Lebanon will probably be given priority because their conditions are the most difficult. They are suffering a lot. In Jordan, they are citizens. They have equal rights. Two-thirds of Jordan is Palestinian. In Syria, we have also half a million. They have also been given much better privileges and rights than in Lebanon. Not like Jordan, but very close. So we're giving priority to certain to certain uh, countries. Lebanon is number one. And the rest, it all depends on our ability, capacity to absorb. It took Israel 10 years to absorb 1 million Russian Jews. 10 years. Long guarantees from the United States, billions and billions to help. And it's, it's a state. Israel is a well-established state. So before you can bring all these refugees back, you have to create housing, infrastructure, jobs. It's not an easy task. But we want to find a formula whereby the Israelis also do not see that as the end of their state. You know, if you tell them five and a half million, well, three million are coming back to Israel. They will not accept. So when we said just and agreed, we meant agreed with Israel. We want Israel to acknowledge the principle of the right of return, and we will agree the mechanism of the implementation. Just to show them that we understand their concerns, and that we are not envisioning six million, like they say, coming back. Well, first of all, because realistically, we can't implement it. Israel cannot allow one Palestinian to go back if they want. And they have control over their borders and everything. So you need to do it in a very creative manner, whereby you can assure the Israelis that if they acknowledge or recognize <coughs> the principle of the right of return for the Palestinian refugees, it does not mean that they are acknowledging that the state of Israel was created illegally, or it is, it, it is void and, and, and uh, uh, you know, that, that, that they acknowledge that Israel was illegal. 
you know, because if you say, okay, you can come back to your home, well, then this is not my home, right? No. We try to tell them that we are not seeking that. We want you to acknowledge that the creation of the state of Israel led to the creation of the Palestinian refugee problem. That is a fact. And then you and us can sit and agree on how to implement and how to allow. And, 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 the, and two, three years ago, four years ago, when President Abbas was talking to Prime Minister Olmert, former Prime Minister Olmert of Israel, for the first time ever, an Israeli Prime Minister got down to the details of the number of Palestinian refugees who will be returning to Israel for the first time ever. But you know the rest of the story. Olmert was forced out of the government <laughs> and recently was <laughs> indicted by the sentence. And we could not continue the discussion when Netanyahu came, of course, for the last four years there hasn't been any discussions. But we have to do it in a way that is, is assured also the Israeli side. And uh, you need to exercise the right. So we want to provide every Palestinian refugee with a maximum basket of choices. Come back to Palestine, go back to a third country, stay where you are, the, the countries, the host countries accept them, to stay where they are, you know, in Lebanon is difficult because of the balance in Lebanon, you know, the Christians, Maronites, Shiites, Sunni, and the Palestinians are mostly Sunni, unfortunately, I'm using this, uh, this, this, this language or semantics, uh, but they, they can disrupt the balance, there. that's why we are giving them priority. So, uh, you know, we, 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 have, we, have to, we have to be creative about uh, about such a solution, but resolving the Palestinian refugee problem is a precondition to ending the conflict and ending all historical Without resolving the Palestinian refugee problem, there will be no peace between us and the Palestinians and the Israelis. Well, okay. We recognize that you could have gone to any other university, and we really appreciate you spending your afternoon with our university. So thank you very much. Can you